Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 26, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and try to get to some of the letters in the mailbag. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Writers, Hawaii Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Guys, I, I made the mistake yesterday of asking a uh, health weight loss question on Twitter, and... <laughs> I got like hundreds of responses, uh, <laughs> like it, it, from some educated people, some nutritionists, some smart people. But it, it's funny, like everything on the internet, the responses were like divided fifty fifty, with everybody telling me to do something completely different. So, what were they divided between? Like, what was the majority of responses? Well, my my question was, I, I hate even bringing this up here because I know that we'll get responses in the mailbag and I, I think I've already come to a conclusion is um you know I, I'm on a new diet and I'm using this weight uh loss tracker like an app and um you know because I have my Apple watch it registers uh I've been going on a walk to go get lunch every day now and it registers how much how many calories I'm burning while I'm going for this walk which isn't like a whole lot it's like you know 400 calories or whatever but um the weight loss app by default was taking my exercise calories and adding it to my allotment of calories for the day that I could eat. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so on a weight, on a diet, you're at a deficit of calories, you know, to lose weight. And this was like basically giving me back the calories that I had burned off on my walk. And I was basically asking, should that be, because there's a setting to turn that off so that I do not, you know, consume, the calories that I have burnt off. Um, and it seems like everybody's just has different ways of thinking of this. You know, there's some people that say that, uh, you know, if you cut too many calories, your body will go into starvation mode. There's some educated people that point out that there's uh, a lot of people doing intermittent uh, fasting and their bodies oh, are not going into. I don't into, believe in that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But like, but they point out that those people are doing it and it's their bodies are not going into starvation mode. So I don't know. I, I think I've come to the conclusion as long as I'm not, you know, 
doing huge hikes and climbing up mountains and doing marathons, then I'm just not going to consume the calories that I'm burning off <laughs> and uh, keep those as bonus uh, weight loss, I think. But now that I've said that, I'm, I'm probably going to get a bunch of letters in, in, in the mailbag. And I, please don't. I, I don't. I don't need it. I, I didn't mean for this opening banter to go this long. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so let's get let's jump into the news. Let's start off with Halloween and how it's tracking at the box office. Chris, how much does it look like Halloween is going to make when it comes out? Uh, Halloween is is on track to maybe have the the biggest opening in the franchise's history, which is pretty good. Uh, you know, this is early projection, and it could turn out to be wrong. But right now, it looks like it's leading towards a fifty to sixty million dollar opening weekend, which, if so, would uh, beat the previous record holder, which is Rob Zombie's Halloween, which had a uh, twenty six million dollar opening weekend, and obviously. You know, the first film was a big hit, too, but you, know, you have to factor in, in inflation and all that stuff. How does this compare to the rest of the franchise? Uh, it, it's pretty much the highest of all. I mean, after the Rob Zombie one, it, it goes down to like the 16 millions. And we don't really there actually isn't a record of the original Halloween's opening weekend anywhere online because I guess it was just too long ago. So that this, is insane. Yeah, <laughs> that, that we do not have a record for that because. Uh, what year was that? In the 1970s? Uh, 78, 1978. That is, that is scary to me. Well, <laughs> it's exciting that this film is going to, it looks like it's going to do well because, uh, that means we could be getting more of them. I know you're a big fan of Halloween. Uh, if this does well and they decide to make more of them, is that something you want? See, I don't know because, you know, I don't want to give away spoilers or anything, but this film, it like restores the franchise to, you know, <laughs> what it hasn't been in a while. And I kind of, I wanted to just stay that way. I'm worried like the more they make, the more they're going to like screw it up again and start making bad movies again. So I don't want that to happen. But at the same time, you know, if the same people came back, I'd be willing. I, you know, I wouldn't, I obviously wouldn't be like, oh, I'm not seeing that. So, you know. Okay, let's uh, move on to James Wan, who is going to be producing a remake of Train to Busan. Is that how you pronounce it? Busan. Busan. Uh, mm-hmm. And th- this is from the nun writer, Gary Dauberman. Uh, H.G., you wrote, the- wrote about this for the site. What do we know? Yeah, speaking of horror films in which the original is untouchable, uh, Train to Busan was a huge uh, South Korean hit, which managed to be one of the highest grossing films in South Korea uh, at, in 2016 and was a worldwide hit as well. And of course, that means it's getting an American remake. Uh, James Wan will be producing this American remake with Gary Darman set to pen the remake, which uh, is still untitled, likely be titled something like Train to Boston or something. <laughs> I'm not sure. But um, currently, there is a bloody bidding war uh, taking place over the rights of the project with New Line, Universal, Paramount, Lionsgate, and Screen Gems going to bat over this um, this remake. That's also a pun, by the way, because there is a bat that's used in this film. <laughs> the original film is phenomenal. It's, I think, one of the best zombie films from this past decade. Um, and it's it's so good. Um, it's, this the news has actually incited a bit of anger over the internet, right, Peter? Oh yes. Um, uh, 
you know, some of our tweets about the news get like almost no reaction. You know, there's a, you know, a couple dozen retweets or favorites and a couple, you know, responses. But this one, looking at my Twitter analytics, has reached over a half a million people because people are responding and uh, quote retweeting basically the, almost unanimously just saying, read the fucking subtitles. So I, I don't think people want this remake. I have not seen this film. It's uh, so good. I think it's still on Netflix. At least I saw it on Netflix a few months ago, and it's amazing. Definitely worth the subtitles if you are um, reluctant to get into that. But it's it's so good. It's so uh, brutal and just balls-to-the-wall violence in the way that a lot of South Korean horror thrillers are. And uh, it has a surprisingly emotional core as well. I've, I also might be a little biased because I have a huge crush on the, on the lead, Gong Yu. <laughs> but he's not even the highlight of this film. All the supporting characters are so good. Chris, you're a big horror guy. Have you seen this? I have. It's great, and it really does not need a remake. And yeah, I, I said on Twitter, I'm guessing it's going to be called like Train to Delaware or something like that. I can't imagine like what they're going to call it. What, what is the unique angle to this that will you know differentiate it from other zombie films uh, you know in the U.S. Uh, world? Well, it's exactly like it sounds like. It's a zombie film that takes place exclusively on a train, so it has that claustrophobic, <laughs> um, you know, atmosphere to it. And yet, it manages to just keep uh, barreling on despite being taking place in one in one setting, essentially. At at some points, they stop in various uh, stations and realize that those places are overrun as well. Um, and essentially, it's it's on a train while a zombie virus breaks out in all of South Korea. Um, and they are kind of the last to realize it until it's too late. Has anybody done a Zombies on a Plane movie yet? I feel like if anybody knows this, Chris is the one that probably the answer. Uh, yes, they have. Uh, I, I forget what it's called, but they have. It's, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, the train conceit probably allows them to do a lot more that, you know, the plane would be a lot more uh, contained and less exciting. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go check this out because of all these tweets. Uh, I actually had to mute the the tweet on my mentions because my mentions were just completely unreadable because of all these people just responding to the article which hd you wrote and it's not like you were like excited for this remake well i actually i'm surprisingly not angry about it either because i think james Bond is really talented and he you know created the entire conjuring universe uh which is like one of the few horror cinematic universes today, I think in his hands, this wouldn't be a bad remake, even though the original, again, is perfect. I think this, the premise is so simple and kind of bare bones that you really could put it anywhere. Uh, just it wouldn't, it might not, or probably wouldn't measure up to the original. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of, of course, James Wan is going to produce, he's not going to direct. When I was uh, visiting him in the editing room of the the Aquaman editing room, uh, one of the first questions I asked was a question that our own Chris had, and that was like, uh, w "When are you ever going to direct another horror movie?" And his answer was kind of disappointing. It was kind of he, he brought up Sam Raimi's uh, 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 "Drag Me to Hell" and basically said, "Like you know, Sam Raimi found a way back. I'll eventually find a way back." So uh, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I would be more excited for this movie, I think, if Juan was actually directing. But like you said, he has produced some some good horror films as well. Uh, Chris, are you, you just totally not interested in this remake? 
I don't know. I mean, it depends on who they hire to direct it and, you know, all that stuff. But I, I really don't think, you know, the original is indeed still on Netflix. So you could just go watch that. Like, you don't really need to remake this, especially so soon. Okay. So check that out on Netflix. Let's move on to a big bit of comic book casting news. And that is that Birds of Prey have cast two new actresses for the film. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yes. So, uh, you know, a few days ago, we, we wrote up a story about how a bunch of actresses were, were reading for various parts in the film. And now two have been cast. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is going to play Huntress and Journey Smollett-Bell is going to play Black Canary in the film. And of course, Margot Robbie is starring in the film as Harley Quinn. And this is going to be Warner Brothers' big uh, DC female-driven team film, which is set to open in February of 2020. Um, I mean, you know, what what dif- differentiates this from the other uh, DC films that we know about so far, just in case people aren't following Birds of Prey? Uh, well, I mean, it's got a, um, you know, there's a female director, which is a lot different. I mean, you know, Marvel, I mean, DC obviously has Patty Jenkins, but up until now she was the only female director they had. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what differentiates this from the DC film just because, you know, I haven't seen it yet. And there's always a chance it'll turn out to be bad, just like all the other DC films, except Wonder Woman. But I'm... I'm a little more optimistic for this just because it just seems like they're they're really gathering a good amount of talent to, you know, make this happen. Yeah, no, it, it does seem like they are the cast is actually a good cast. I know uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, is very picky on the role she takes and she's, you know, being offered, you know, a lot of big stuff that she's turned down so for her to take this i think is maybe a vote of confidence and i I did want to point out that caitlin booth uh, who is also a journalist uh pointed out on twitter that now this has been i think five or six people that were in edgar wright's scott pilgrim versus the world who have since become superheroes so that's uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. There's Free Larson, Chris Evans, uh, who I guess was a superhero Brandon before Ralph. that. But, bro, well, he was a superhero before that, too. Oh, that's true. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, who I guess technically in Legion. Mae Whitman voices Batgirl in the animated stuff. And uh, I think someday we might see like Anna Kendrick, who wanted to be Squirrel Girl. I would love to see Ellen Wong as a superhero. So I just feel like, you know... Anybody who is casting a superhero movie, just look to the films of Edgar Wright, right? I I think what we're all waiting for is a Michael Sarah superhero <laughs> movie. That would be so weird. I don't even know what character that could possibly be. Maybe, maybe oh. the maybe the Michael Sarah uh, Lex Luthor. he was actually he was in lego batman wasn't he robin in lego batman so there's that oh you're right so there is another one so that's like more than five i don't i'm not gonna count on there but that's a lot of uh a lot of edgar wright uh regulars who who moved on to become superheroes but let's move on to star wars some big star wars news dropped today at the oculus conference hj tell us about it 
Yes. So David Goyer's secret Darth Vader VR project, which he has been teasing for the past two years, has now been revealed to be called Star Wars Vader Immortal with a new trailer that has been dropped uh, at the Oculus Connect event. And it's a collaboration between Lucasfilm's ILM X Lab and Oculus. Uh, It's a VR project that will be a three-part experience in which the player will get transported to Darth Vader's headquarters in Mustafar and presumably either work with him or face off against him it's not sure it's not it's not certain because in the trailer the very brief trailer we see he uh speaks to the player and then activates his lightsaber so it could be either or so um this is a a project that has uh, that will be debuted exclusively on oculus quest which is a standalone virtual reality headset that is uh, launching in spring of 2019 and this will be the launch project of oculus quest now, this is interesting for a variety of reasons. Um, I do want to point out that, like, uh, it seems like they're trying to do this very connected world. Like, there was this whole uh, Secrets of the Empire experience at the Void. I think I'm the only one on this podcast that experienced it. And I'm not a video gamer. I'm not even a big proponent of VR. But experiencing Secrets of the Empire and being feeling like you are inside the world of star wars was incredible and i i can definitely see the draw of it uh the interesting thing is like that that um experience kind of sets up uh i'm not going to spoil anything but there's a kind of like a secret weapon of some kind that is set up and apparently some of the things that are kind of set up in there that are actually also referenced in rogue one uh are going to tie into these projects and lead into a larger story and connect. Um, I, I do find the title to be a little weird, like Vader immortal, because we know he's, he's not immortal. Right. Um, but, uh, I'm wondering, you know, in the prequels, uh, his master talked about the power to escape death. And obviously he was not able to escape death, uh, the emperor, um, And uh, I know in the expanded universe Star Wars stuff, uh, the Emperor was, uh, you know, after Return of the Jedi, you know, trying to seek out some stuff that he was unable to get his hands on uh, or or, or that he had. uh, (laughs) It gets complicated, but he had like a robotic version of him trying to find this. Anyways, there has been some speculation that he was trying to to find these ancient uh, Jedi text or whatever that would allow you to live forever, the cure to death or something like that. Um, and I'm wondering, and I, I know JJ Abrams probably didn't have any intention in this when he wrote star Wars, the force awakens, but there is that line that Kylo Ren says that I'll finish what you started. I'm wondering if there is something to this, all of this, like that there is something to the immortal thing that is going to, uh, play in part of episode nine probably not i'm probably reading way too much into some like any star wars geek but hd what do you think i mean that's possible because i think goyer has teased before that this will be canon this uh darth vader immortal experience will be part of the greater star wars saga so it's possible that this could be a tie-in with the upcoming episode nine um, did, have you guys, I, I know I think we've talked about VR in the past, but like, 
Does this excite you like a Star Wars episodic experience written by, you know, Hollywood screenwriter and producer? Like, does that get you more excited about VR? I can't say it does. I've never (laughs) actually experienced anything like truly VR before. I've done like little headsets where you they put the phone in, but um, I've never done like a true VR experience. So I don't really know what to make of it. I know that people who have experience really enjoy it, but I just don't really have anything to go on. Chris, th- this will allow you to be in your own house, not be able to, li- you don't have to leave your doors and you could be I, in the universe of Star Wars. You don't have to go to Star Wars land and spend hundreds of dollars. I just, I don't know. I just want to watch stuff. I don't like this to me is just like, you know, like 3D and smell o vision. I don't need gimmicks. Just Give me a movie. That's all I need. I just give me the movie. I'll watch the movie. I don't want to. I want to put a video drone device on my head and go into the world. Like it, I, don't, I don't need to do that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I'm also I, like you know as much as I enjoyed that Secrets of the Empire experience, that was cool because it's something called the room scale, which is like they build out like this kind of small or this big room. So that like you're walking through hallways and you can feel the you know the virtual hallways you you can open the doors you can pick up the guns like they're actual physical objects uh, that you are also seeing in the virtual world. This system, this new Oculus system, is basically for your own home. And I, I'm kind of with you, Chris. I, I I kind of when I want to sit back and enjoy a story, I want to kind of sit back and enjoy the story. I don't want to be part of it. And I don't see the benefit of being able to look around because, like, I feel like as a storyteller, I want to look at what the director or the storyteller wants me to look at and not, like, you know, behind me at the thing I'm not supposed to look at. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know. I Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, you know, again, I know people enjoy this, and that's fine to each their own. I just, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm just... Being a, a curmudgeon-y old man, I don't know. But I just, I don't know. I, I see this, and every year, more and more film festivals add VR to their lineup. And I'm just like, I, I don't care. I just don't want, I just want to watch a movie. But that's me. You're not even excited about, like, the big auteurs doing, like, VR experiences? Like, didn't No, uh, not, not really. Alejandro just, or? Nah, I don't. I, I just want to watch a movie. That's it. That's all I want. Don't stop complicating it. That's all. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our last and final story. And this is some big, important news. Apparently, Aquaman features lots of water vomiting scenes. Chris, tell us about this. Yes, this is a uh, this is the most important DC news you're going to hear probably all year. Um, uh, I'll let the the listeners go over to slashfilm.com to read James Wan's very lengthy explanation, but it boils down to this. Uh, when certain Atlanteans come out of the water onto dry land, they end up throwing up water just because, you know, that's what they're ingesting all the time under the sea. So when you go see Aquaman, you can expect to see at least several scenes where certain actors, including Nicole Kidman, just throw up some water. So there you have it. Uh, I think this is what the DCEU has been missing the entire time. So I think this is going to be, this is going to put them over the top. This is finally going to be the film. Everyone gathers around and applauds strictly because it has water vomiting. 
so pee jokes and uh, water vomiting. You know, I will say, like, if you read James Wan's explanation for this, it seems like very well thought out of like, you know, how would creatures that live underneath water, you know, when they come out of water, what would happen? Like, it seems like he put a lot more thought into this than I think most of the other people working in the DCEU. Yeah, I mean, all, all kidding aside, he does have a very detailed explanation. Like, I know if I were making Aquaman and someone asked me this question, I'd be like, who cares? Like, just just accept it. But he actually put a lot of thought into it. So I appreciate that James Wan actually took this very seriously and, and put thought into how... Uh, Atlanteans would operate when they come out of the water. I find it funny that he he thinks he needs to explain that, but then he has this big battle arena scene where jellyfish are lighting the you know huge uh, Atlantean arena, and there is an octopus playing the drums. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. Well, that's that's I mean scientifically accurate. You don't need to call that into question. Okay, guys. They, they got all those arms. They play drums. I think what he really needs to explain is Mara's hair. Like, what? <sighs> what is happening with that color red? It looks so bad. It looks really bad. Uh, okay, we have a, a few minutes, so let's get into some of the the feedback that we've gotten in the, the mailbag that we've been putting off for a couple weeks now. Uh, Lord in Wor- Worcester, Massachusetts, writes in uh, that. Um, we were talking about the girl in the spider's web and the, the, the new title is girl in the spider's web, a dragon tattoo story. Uh, Lord comments that, uh, this book is not part of the original millennium trilogy, uh, that the original author wrote, as you probably know, he passed away after completing the first three books. This is not a direct sequel to the girl in the dragon tattoo. And I wonder if Sony is trying to make sure people, know it's set in the same universe but not a standalone movie do you guys think this uh subtitle helps clarify that in any way i did know that this was based off of a book by a different writer um but i think it is being billed as a direct sequel um i don't know if it's like kind of like something like the dce where it's a different (laughs) actress so it's like a different character or different like I don't. I don't know, but um, it's it's yeah, very confusing. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think that subtitle helps anything. <laughs> but uh, okay, let's uh, read another letter. Scott A from Alameda, California, writes in that he implores each of us to check out the writer. Um, it is a masterful film. While I did not connect with the subject matter as much as other films, the artistry of Chloe Zhao, her cinematographer and editor are what truly elevate this film, using a wonderful juxtaposition of wide shots to emphasize the emptiness of South Dakota landscape with extreme close-ups touching upon the claustrophobia of uh, Braddy's tragic situation. The film highlighted the type of director that Zhao is. The writer was in my top top five at the half-year mark, and while it may have slipped down, it's definitely a film worth watching. I think Chris especially would love it. Uh, I a high recommend, and I think Marvel hiring style is a inspired choice. Um, so, Chris, why haven't you seen this yet? All right, listen, listeners, someone write <laughs> write into me and tell me if the horse dies or not. Because if the horse dies, I'm not going to watch this. That's that's what's holding me up. I have this bad feeling you, that you know the that- horse is. 
there is a website that actually tracks all that. You can look up any movie and see if there is any, you know, on screen, you know, not yeah. like like animals die in like, the production, but I'm like afraid. I want someone to tell me. I don't know. <laughs> like I have this weird thing where like if people die in movies, I don't care. But if like an animal dies, I get very upset. So that's what's been holding me back because I have this really bad feeling this movie's going to end with the horse dying and. I'm not going to be able to handle it. So someone tell me if the horse doesn't die, I will watch this. But if the horse dies, I'm sorry. It's a no from me. I have a good friend named Molly who uh, tried to watch House of Cards in in that first episode. I think like at the beginning of the first episode. So I guess this isn't much of a spoiler, but a dog gets like run over or something by a car. Yeah, a dog gets run over and he, Kevin Spacey, like puts it out of its misery. But thankfully it's like off screen so i can sort of handle that yeah well she had to shut off the show and she never watched the show just because of that like so so you can get through something like that it's not like that doesn't like isn't like if a complete it, roadblock it, it, it depends on how it's depicted if it's like off screen like it is in that house of cards thing i can sort of handle it although it, it will upset me but if there's like on screen animal death i can't do it i can't take it so so, like I said, someone tell me if if this ends with <laughs> with whatever the horse's name is dying, I, I'm not going to be able to do it. So I'll have to I'll have to wait and see. HG, I got to know: are are you affected at all by on screen animal deaths? No. Would it make me feel sound really bad if I said that after I saw Okja, I started craving bacon? <laughs> oh, jeez! Wow. <laughs> I was like, wow, that jerky looks really good. <laughs> that that is horrible. That's horrible. Yeah, that's no, actually... no, I'm I'm a good person. I don't hate animals. <laughs> that's actually the movie. Okja is actually the movie that made me go uh, full vegetarian. Like I wasn't a vegetarian before I saw that movie. Oh wow! And that's what that's what changed me. So I like that we had the complete opposite <laughs> reaction to that. Jeez. <laughs> okay, let's uh let's read another um. We had that Predator episode where I was uh, we were talking about uh, all the kind of like flaws or like plot holes of the movie. Uh, Prince from New York City writes in, I'll agree that everything went downhill at the Cadillac commercial in the woods, but your complaint seemed loony. Plot holes in a Predator movie? Really? We enjoyed the movie except for the final scene. It was fast and fun and dumb. You don't go to Applebee's for fine dining, and you don't go to Predator movies thinking there will be no potholes. Tighten up. <laughs> what do you guys have to say with this? Like, it, should we just expect less from certain franchise and certain types of movies, or like, should we, uh, or, or should, we, should should we view things in the Nolan like viewpoint of like everything has the potential to be, you know, elevated. I haven't seen Predator yet, but I just want to say I like the line a lot. You don't go to Applebee's for fine dining. That's great. <laughs> hey, what if I do go to Applebee's for fine dining? <laughs> then you you are living your life wrong, Peter. <laughs> Chris, do you have any thoughts on a... <laughs> I mean, I don't like this argument. I mean, I do actually think, Peter, a lot of your plot hole problems with Predator were a bit silly. But at the same time, I also feel like... I feel like we shouldn't let anything off the hook. I feel like we should want every sort of film, every sort of entertainment to strive to be better. So if you just want to like blithely be like, eh, I I wanted that to be stupid. I feel like you're like, (laughs) you're like cheating. I like, you should want things to be better. But you know, again, I know that's not everyone's opinion. Yeah. You don't go to Applebee's being like, give me the crappy food you're serving today. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, you go there because you, you are craving uh, sustenance. You're you're craving some sort of enjoyment. No, like no one goes out to eat and is like, yeah. oh man, I hope this is terrible. Like no no one is thinking like that. I was trying to think of a signature dish of Applebee's, but I don't think there is a signature dish. Maybe like you know you you go to uh, uh, Outback uh, Steakhouse for the Awesome Blossom. Even though you know it's going to be, you know, really bad. For, I don't know. I'm not sure where I'm going with this analogy, but uh, to your point, uh, Chris, I don't think I was like the cinema sins of of potholes. I wasn't pointing out like things that weren't there. They were actually definitely there. And to that point, uh, Jacob C from Mississippi writes in saying uh, that uh, he cannot believe that Peter was made fun of so much. And uh, by how confused he was in the movie, I totally and completely agree with you on every point you made. The movie was edited extremely horribly, and I couldn't tell what was going on half the time. I shame Brad for making fun of you with the nerd voice that was uncalled for. It made no sense, and it was a trash movie. Also, the depiction of Tourette's syndrome was extremely bad. My dad and I both have Tourette's, and we laughed the whole time or the whole movie at Thomas Jane's depiction of it because of how inaccurate and offensive it was. Tourette's is rarely that severe. And when it is that bad, it doesn't look like that. Literally it's only purpose was to set up some really bad jokes. And uh, it's interesting that we actually got someone to write in about that because that that was was something I had a problem with because I, I grew up with, um, in uh, high school, uh, one of my best friends had Tourette's syndrome, and uh, it was just nothing like it's depicted in movies, and especially being used as kind of comic relief, I, I felt it felt kind of offensive. I'm glad they could laugh at it in some way, though. Um, and uh, you know, let's get, let's get to a, a couple more emails. Uh, we, we were on the podcast, I think, a week or two ago, and we asked. Is anybody out there listening to us? We were we were yelling out into the void, asking, "Is anybody out there actually excited for Venom?" And if so, to write us in, or write in an email. Um, we did get uh, out of our, our audience of thousands and thousands. We got two emails, guys. Uh, we got um, one from Michael R. who said. Uh, the reason why he's excited is Tom Hardy usually chooses wisely. That, of course, looks like it will change, but people think it looks more like a scary version of Deadpool, and that's why he thinks people are excited for it. So, Chris, do you think like uh, t- Tom Hardy's career choices might indicate that there might be something more to this film than what we're seeing? I mean, that's definitely a possibility. I do think Tom Hardy is a really good actor, even though he does do... Uh, very goofy voices, especially in this, he's doing a very goofy voice, but I, I also do think he's a very serious actor. He takes his craft really seriously. And I do think he wouldn't just like casually do something. So maybe he did see something in the script, but whatever he saw, I'm not saying it. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it either. Uh, Scott a from Alameda, California. Again, uh, he writes in, he has a long email, which I will have the whole thing. We'll have the whole thing of all these emails in the show notes. But he basically says that, uh, he's one of these mysterious folk that are actually excited to see Venom. Uh, he is, uh, one of those Marvel zombies from way back. And even though, uh, he acknowledges that the movie is probably going to be really bad and the trailers have not looked, 
uh, he says the trailers have looked terrible. Uh, for us 1990s Spider-Man lovers, Venom was the go-to villain. His character design, his intensity, his ability to toy with Spider-Man made him a character who you rooted for almost as much as the main character. And uh, basically he's saying that the character design of Venom in this film is, is enough. Like they got that right and that's enough to make him want to use his AMC A-list to go see this movie in the theaters. Um have you guys ever been, like, so attached to, you know, the source material of something that when Hollywood made a movie adaptation out of it, that even though it looked like complete crap, you still, you know, were there opening night to see it? Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about it a few episodes back, but last airbender. <laughs> I went to see it opening night, and it was a very bad decision. Uh, how about you, Chris? You know, I can't think of anything off the top. I, I'm sure it's happened, but uh, I mean, I, I was a huge Batman fan growing up, so I really excitedly went to see like Batman and Robin when that opened. But you know, that was like a different time. Like you know, trailers online were as prevalent, so I, I I don't think I really had any inclination that it was going to be as bad as it was when I saw it. But I was excited to see it at the time. Yeah, and I think I've mentioned this on the air before, but the Sound of Thunder is this good book and they i think in the late 90s or early 2000s they made a hollywood version of it with horrible effect uh, visual effects and it's just it's just a bad movie and all the trailers made it look bad but i i i was so excited to see it in theaters and it, it was not good so uh so it happens it happens every once in a while um but that okay we have gone over the time uh thank you both for joining me ht where can people find more of your work online you can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris, where can people find your work? Uh, I'm at SlashFilm.com as well, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find uh, all the articles we talked about on today's show on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps as long, alongside SlashFilm.com. And uh, if you want to send your letter to the mailbag, your feedback, questions, comments, or concerns, send them to Peter at SlashFilm.com. We can't guarantee you that they'll make it, make it on the air. But if they do, please leave your name and general geographic location uh, in case we uh, do mention it. And uh, please, as always, go give us a good review on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, guys. That was good. Um, I feel like you're going to get angry letters for the uh, Okja thing. Me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not a terrible person. It's just I have a weird reaction sometimes. Like, for example, after I, whenever I watched Hannibal, I got very hungry. <laughs> Yeah, but that's people, so that's different. Yeah, that's wait, 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 wait a second. When you watched Hannibal, you got okay. really hungry. Those dishes were designed beautifully. No, I agree. I I got hungry too. But again, that's people. If he were cooking animals, I'd be like, oh no, I can't watch this. But people, could... it's fine. <laughs> you, you guys yeah, are I monsters. Never give up meat. I'm sorry. People don't hate me. I'm I'm just I'm a good person. I like dogs. I'm allergic to cats, but I like them too. <laughs> Have you ever been to a cat cafe? No, no, I neither. don't think I could handle it because I probably would like my throat <laughs> would close up, but I'm sure it's very nice. 
Uh, and if probably if you did, you'd probably want to eat one of them. So no. <laughs> 